welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. We are excited to have Jasmine. Jasmine, welcome. Hi, guys. Welcome <laughs> me. I'm here. We are super pumped to have you. Jasmine, tell us a little about yourself. Let the world know how amazing you and your, your company are. Yeah, well, first of all, guys, thank you so much for inviting me. And, you know, you guys had told me earlier that you are a little tired from a long days of, day of work, right? And so um, I'm going to hopefully energize you guys and, and make you laugh a little bit. And we're just going to have a great conversation. So I'm just really excited that you guys invited me. Thank you. Um, so for everyone, my name is Jasmine Castleberry, and I'm the founder of the After School Professional. And so, you know, I've been in youth development for over 17 years uh, throughout the great state of Texas and in New York City. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got my start, well, not kind of, but I did get my start in undergrad. So I went to Prairie View A&M University, which is right outside of Houston, Texas. And I was going to go to law school. So I wanted to go and I wanted to be a great lawyer and I wanted to make six figures and I wanted to live in a big, beautiful house and drive fancy cars. And, you know, I was going to be litigating all over the place um, and did not know that I was going to be working with kids for the rest of my life. And um, so the big fancy house and all of that, well, you guys know what comes with that. <laughs> so, so in my last year of undergrad, I decided to get a little part-time job working for the YMCA of Greater Houston. And that really was just to feed my, you know, nail habit and to like get my nails done and get my hair done and go shopping ever so often. I just wanted to do something that was close enough to campus that I could get there on time after my classes, um, but was going to, I didn't have to think a lot or so I thought, so I thought. I wasn't gonna have to think a lot and I had babysat before. So I was like, I got this, this is great. And so, uh, you know, I applied to be just like a, a regular after school counselor and they actually made me a site coordinator. So I was working 20 hours a week there. I had two high school students that were my staff. I, I remember calling home, I was so excited. I was making 750 an hour. And I was like, this is my first management job. I'm in, this is all, I just needed one management job. Then I could put that on my resume and I can do, you know, whatever, right? And so I started working there and we had about 25 kids in this, in this program. And it really helped me with my creativity, um, with just like knowing how to relate to kids and how to mentor these high school students. It was a really great experience, but it was also really hard. I made a lot of mistakes because babysitting one or two kids is not the same as taking care of 25 kids and being responsible and accountable. So there were a lot of mistakes that were made. Um, but I also remember thinking, wow, this comes naturally for me. I had, um, you know, a holiday would come up and I got excited. I remember one time I went to the back of the uh, campus and there's this big uh, field out there because the, the university sits on a uh, former slave plantation. And so 
I would, I went back there one Christmas and I was like, we're going to do glitter pine cones as ornaments. And I went back there and I grabbed a whole bunch of pine cones and stuck them in the back of my car. Um, I got a spider infestation from that. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, wait a second. We're going to stop you right there. You know, there are people who are listening to this podcast right now who just got shivers. Yeah, that, myself included. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I definitely almost um, crashed my car because I was willing to sacrifice my life to get away from the spiders. Um, and so, <laughs> so we, I, you know, but that was that was the sacrifice that I was willing to make, you know, to make sure that these kids were creating these awesome glitter pine cones, you know, for Christmas. Um, and so I was getting ready to graduate and I was getting ready to think about law schools. And there was just something in me that was like, man, this, again, it comes really easily. I love mentoring the younger staff that are just as eager as me. And I think that it's time for a little career change, even though I hadn't started my career yet because I hadn't graduated, but you know. Uh, so I graduated with a degree in political science and decided immediately to go into youth development. So I graduated. After that, I, I moved back to Austin, Texas, uh, which is where I'm from and where I grew up. And I started working for a private preschool there as an assistant manager and pre-K teacher. So it was a hybrid kind of uh, position. That was, I, I did not imagine myself being in a classroom so out of the 17 years, this is the first, this is the first and only time that I have worked directly with the kids. Uh, that's not my forte, but we'll go into that later. Um, but I was working with these four-year-olds who were just very special and very unique. Okay. <laughs> Those are the words that we use to describe our special ones. So, you know, I'll never forget my first year working um, at this private preschool. And, you know, I had to, I remember like my first major test because before I was responsible for two high school students who were responsible for these 25 kids. And yes, I had to be there on site to manage everything, but, you know, I just could pat the little kids on the head and then be like, okay, go outside and play, you know, but this time I had management responsibilities. So I was an assistant manager but also a pre-K teacher at the same time. So that's when I started learning about the curriculum and lesson planning and being intentional about the activities that we're giving these kids because you're responsible for their learning and development. And so my first test comes from Lil Johnny, right? So I'm like, Lil Johnny, sit down. Lil Johnny, like, don't hit. Johnny, share the markers, put the sand down. Don't eat the sand, Johnny. You know, and so it was very difficult at first, very different from that part-time, you know, three hours a day and after school programming. And now I'm moving into eight hours a day. I am in this private, pre private preschool, the oldest kids that are there are four and five. Um, and I am responsible for direct service and direct service delivery. And so I remember thinking to myself, I left the opportunity to go to law school for this, for ringworm, caught ringworm while I was there, of course, because it's four-year-olds, you know, 
Um, and every day I would just drive up to the building and I would sit in my car and be like, Jasmine, are you sure? Are you sure? But then one day came and he kept getting, you know, little Johnny kept getting into trouble and, and but he kept coming, right? And, and his, his parents, of course, needed the care. But every time he would bounce into my classroom, Miss Jasmine. And so one day I'm like, why, why do you? why do you like coming here? It feels like you're not even learning anything. It feels like you're, you're always in trouble. And he cocks his head to the side and he gives me this crooked little smile and he says, because you're here, teacher. And I was like, oh my God, he got me. He trapped me in that moment. Um, and so from that day forward, I made the decision to commit to learning as much as I could about how to be a better teacher and give Johnny and any other kid I would encounter my best. So I was in that role as an assistant manager pre-K teacher for probably six to eight months. I was immediately promoted as an assistant director at another campus. So that's what, that is the moment where I started being less, having less interaction with the students and more interaction on the management side, which will speak to why I do what I do. And so I stayed at uh, this private preschool for another year and a half or so. And then from there, I started managing a 21st century grant with the Austin Independent School District. So I did that for five years. Um, I was responsible for uh, one very large school in one of the hardest areas, um, zip codes in the Austin area. Um, the school itself had, I, I believe, over 900 students, and we had an average daily attendance of anywhere from 250 to 300 kids in our after-school program. Our requirement was, I believe at that time, 125 kids. But because we were offering such robust programming, we really uh, listened to the needs of the kids and their families and the communities. Uh, a kid would come and be like, Miss Jasmine, I like basketball. All right, cool, let's make a basketball team, you know? Miss um, Jasmine, we want soccer. We had about 150 kids enroll in our soccer program, just soccer, right? And so, I realized at that moment, um, you know, because I had to deal with vendors at the same time. So vendors, partners, part-time staff that we hired um, off the street, and then as well as college students as interns and in work study. So at this point, I'm, I'm working and managing a wide variety of uh, different positions. And so you, under, you kind of understand and get to realize the different needs of the people who are managing or who are working your programs, right? Um, and so, especially because one thing I noticed was that a lot of the staff is younger. I was still pretty young at that moment too, so I'm still learning, but I'm managing and supervising and impacting and influencing uh, younger people as well, right, who want to get into this field. And so um, I did that for five years, and then one day, towards the end of the fifth year, I was uh, sitting on my bed at one o'clock in the morning trying to think of what the, my next move was going to be because uh, the 21st century program, as we all know, is, a, is grant funded and it was for a five-year grant. So we're in our last year. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And it was one o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and I'm watching CNN's Black in America. 
and they were profiling the Harlem Children's Zone. I had never heard of it before, um, but the things that they were doing for the kids in, the, in that neighborhood, those 97 square blocks, was amazing. They weren't just focusing on um, uh, enrichment or arts enrichment or anything. They were doing academic enrichment, social enrichment, college and career uh, readiness, which a lot of programs are, but in a very intentional, targeted way. They had actual goals surrounded, uh, surrounding all of these different aspects and elements. And so I remember watching it, and there was one thing in particular that I was so impressed by. They had these health and fitness and nutrition goals. And if the kids met their goals, right, so they lost weight, they were eating healthy, they lost certain BMI, stuff like that. They took these kids to the Bahamas. I know. I, hello, hello, Michael. Hello, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Do so you have? I, do you need a? Do you need like a chaperone? A chaperone I'm more than happy to jump in on that one. <laughs> so I'm sitting on my bed like the Bahamas. Like it was not only the kid, but their families as well. Okay. And I was like, what kind of organization is this? that would incentivize the kids in these meaningful, just these in outrageous kinds of ways, right? So I said, I wanna work for that organization. It's all the way in New York City. I have never lived outside of Texas. I lived in Austin, I lived in Houston, but, and I had traveled all outside, but I always came back. It was a vacation and then you always come back. But um, there was something about that organization that I was like, I, I have to work there. I'll do whatever it takes, which coincidentally is their motto, right? Doing whatever it takes. And so I started applying and I didn't hear anything back and I'd apply and apply. Well, I had a friend that lived there and she knew someone that worked there and he would tell her, well, they really like to hire from within the community. So it's this cyclical, cyclical thing where um, you know, you're a kid in the program, they send you off to college, they monitor you, they watch you, and then you come back and you give back to your community by working in the community and working for the organization. And it's a beautiful model, so they don't have that many outsiders. I think things are changing. That was about nine or 10 years ago. So things are changing, but back then it was a very close-knit thing. And so I always say it's just by the grace of God that I've ended up getting an email one day. Hey, we would like to interview you for this program manager position. And I lost it. I was running around the house. My parents are like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm going to interview. Like, like I had already gotten the job, guys. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, <laughs> well, we know with nonprofits and, and educational entities, they don't really like to pay for your travel. So I had, to, I had to gather my coins and I flew myself to New York and had this amazing interview and had it, they gave me a tour and I just felt like I was in the Mecca of nonprofit programming and youth development um, and was not afraid that it's New York City. I had visited several times. I had a couple of friends that lived there. Um, and so then a few weeks later, they called me back <laughs> for a second interview. It's not like how it was now where everybody does everything on Zoom, right? That would have been great back then. Uh, but I, again, gathered my little coins up and flew back out there. But this time was different because when I flew there, excuse me, I guess they wanted to give me the news in person that they were hiring me. And so I cried. 
I cried literally guys don't judge me um and they were like are you okay and you know you don't cry in front of new yorkers first of all so you don't cry in front of new yorkers and you don't cry at job interviews you know but i was so moved and so touched by the mission and the vision that i was like this is this is what i gotta do you know so they were like can you start august let's just say the sixth i think it was and i said absolutely so i called my parents shaking i've got three weeks to move to new york city to uproot my entire life um and so i was there for five years and i knew that i only wanted to give it five years because i had a mission a personal mission to um i wanted to to grow my resume i wanted to develop myself as a um as a a, a worker who who knew what they were doing and was well-versed in different kinds of environments and opportunities with the kids and managing staff. I also knew that, or thought at that time that I wanted to be a chief executive officer or an executive director. And so while I was in New York, I had the opportunity to meet with several different CEOs um, of uh, the YWCA in New York City, the YMCA in New Rochelle, Boys and Girls Club. I just reached out to them on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I'm interested in doing what you do. Can you give me 15 minutes? I'll bring coffee. So in talking to them, I realized that is absolutely not what I want to do. I do not. <laughs> I do not want to fundraise. I do not want to do board management. <laughs> I am a program person. But also at this time, I was starting to realize that not only am I a program person, but I am a person who is wants to invest in making sure that we have the right people who are delivering the right kinds of service options to our kids. And it was becoming apparent to me. So at this point, I had worked in a private preschool. I had worked in a school district for an after school program. And now I'm in, I'm in Harlem working for this large organization that there are a lot of people who have the passion for this work. They wanna work with kids, either they majored in education or they majored in something else, but they, it, it brought them back to youth development, it brought them back to education. They just struggle with the performance, right? So they have the passion, they struggle with the performance. And so I, at that point was like, man, I need to start like mentoring, not just supervising, but actually mentoring some of these people. Um, because I could tell that if they just had someone to, to invest in them, create action plans, uh, to really supervise what they were doing, that um, they could be amazing workers and amazing professionals, and at some point, even better leaders in, in any organization that they, would, that they would be in. And so <clears throat> five years there, came to Houston, worked for another couple of organizations, a really big uh, nonprofit doing performance management, actually, for the first year. Then I worked for a smaller organization that was expanding into Houston. And it was during that time that I decided that, you know what, Jasmine, this is really, it's something sitting on your spirit that is saying that you need to start your own business, you need to be a consultant, and you need to develop people specifically in the out of school time space, be stronger professionals so that they can speak to and perform better with their outcomes and goals. Um, and so I, 
founded the After School Professional in 2018. Um, actually, really got fired, actually, from a job that said that it was a conflict of interest. And I was like, is it? I, I didn't know. Okay. But that's okay, because from that experience, the after school professional is here. And so people are, are oftentimes like, well, but you train educators all over the place. And it's like, yes, I do. I'm not going to turn down an opportunity. But our mission is to improve the quality of after school programming specifically. And so it's, a dif it's different because you've got untrained professionals, right? So we know educators go through, um, I think, what is it, 50 hours of professional development that's mandated in order for them to keep their certifications. But we don't have anything like that for after school professionals, although we're dealing with the same kids, right? And so that is how the after school professional was born. I've been doing it for just two years, guys. That's it. Uh, but we have had clients all over the country. And really, it is about impacting um, coaching, creating individualized solutions, and helping people be more comfortable so that we can be better for these kids, their families, and their communities. Wow, that was awesome. Thank you. That was great. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to get a free consulting session with Jasmine. We're going to pick her brain. Uh, if you're setting up your after school and program and, and all that fun stuff for the fall, because it's coming, it's going to come on fast and, and everything that's happening in the world with COVID, we're going to, we're going to pick Jasmine's brain. And uh, so hang in there and we'll be right back. Yay. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Expert Online Training. Al, you've used Expert Online Training. Tell us about it. I have. I've been a past user and, and, and a big fan of Expert Online Training. I've used them for our first-year staff. I've used them uh, for returning leaders. I've used them for our senior leadership uh, or what uh, some people call the, the directing team and I call the support staff. Uh, the different topics and presenters that they have really are worthwhile in tailoring training to your specific camp teams in so many different ways. It's a great program. My camp is using expert online training this summer. So if you're interested in expert online training, go to expertonlinetraining.com and check them out. Thank you. We're back now with uh, Jasmine Castleberry. Jasmine has been describing just a fascinating background of how she's come to be the founder of this after school professional program. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, we have had, you know, wave after wave over the last six months uh, of this year of, of just great intrusion into our lives uh, with COVID and financial crisis and uh, just uh, all the different things that have uh, uh, come about. So I, you described just creating possibility after possibility uh, for yourself in, in your work in Houston and in Austin and then in New York City and then back, uh, back home to Texas. So in, in this immediate time, what possibilities have become available that have just showed up for you that uh, you were unexpected? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I had started to create an online learning management system because it is just me. The after school professional is just me. One day we will rebrand to the after school professionals, but right now it's just me. 
And I love talking, as you can see, and I'm very, and I have a lot of high energy, right? So when I go out and I do these in-person sessions, I get burned out very, very easily because I put my all into everything. And so one of the things that I was starting to develop before COVID hit um, in this unique time uh, was a learning management system where I could digitize all of my curriculum um, and do webinars, pre-recorded sessions and stuff like that. So we know that, um, I think Why for Why may have done a study on uh, on uh, how people prefer to receive their professional development. And I believe it was 43% prefer in person. And I wanna say 21 or 27% of people pre um, prefer uh, online webinars and stuff like that. Um, and so now we're seeing that there's this shift, right? That even though people prefer in person, well, you still have to have your, your professional development. And so now you don't really have a choice. And so some opportunities that have come up for me are these virtual um, sessions. I, I understand the need for pre-recorded because then they can be viewed at any time, right? Someone could view it at 10 o'clock at night while they're brushing their teeth or someone could be cooking something that they found on Pinterest and just play my webinar in the background. Uh, but I really, again, love this, this energy pull that happens when you're face-to-face. -face. So we are, uh, we are, I am pre-recording some sessions, um, but now I'm trying to give people a um, in-person feel over the computer. And so we are seeing now that, number one, there's more time on people's hands for professional development in the form of webinars, pre-recorded sessions, um, or anything like that over online. And so there's a lot of online learning that's happening. A lot of videos are being watched on how to develop your program. And so we, I, I keep saying we, but you know, that- The you metaphorical know we it. works for, works okay. for us here, yeah. Well, there you go. And I feel like I'm speaking it to, into existence as well. Absolutely. You know, so we, there you go, thank you. And so I am, um, really looking on how we can um, with how we can tackle a variety of different issues that are that are pressing and coming up how do we talk about trauma not only with as it impacts uh, professionals but how it impacts the kids as well right um, so we can talk about trauma social emotional learning is always it's it's a trending topic in our field um, and will be for a little while. STEM is starting to come back now. Um, and how do we integrate STEM into our virtual learning platforms? So there's just a lot, Al, of really great opportunities that we've been looking at um, and are employing uh, so and exploring. It's Yeah, it's a lot going on. Great. You, you, you talked a little bit about how uh, this, this uh, program really emerged for you uh, coming from somebody who is, uh, I think you talked about making seven fifty an hour with those, uh, that group of 25 kids at a site. And, and it's like, so w was there an influence for you that uh, brought about this or, or was it just the school of hard knocks uh, or, or was, were there folks along the way that helped you kind of guided you through that kind of emotional intelligence growth in those times? 
That is such a great question, Al, and I hope that I don't get emotional, but I have been um, blessed with the opportunity wherever I go and whatever organization that I, in whatever position that I held, that I would always get a, a worker of whatever form, fashion they were, that would always come to me and say, hey, Jasmine, can you help me with this? Can I run something by you? What do you think of this? It's, it's like people valued my opinion and felt comfortable enough to come to me and ask for help. Um, I, I can't admit that I am not always um, the, um, the nicest, soft-spoken, kindest kind of manager to engage with because I feel like we are, um, whatever, what we do directly impacts lives, right? And so we have to make sure that whatever we're doing is intentional and it's strategic. And so I have very candid conversations with people if this is what you want and if this is how you want to grow professionally, I am absolutely willing to coach you and mentor you. Um, but there was in particular a group of women who were part-time workers when I worked at the Harlem Children's Zone, but they all had degrees. They had four-year degrees, but they're working part-time. And it dawned on me that nobody is investing in their development. They're just happy and content to have them working at $11 an hour or $13 an hour for 20 hours a week. But these women have the passion. They have the degree, so they could easily be where I am. Um, but nobody is investing in them. So for me, it wasn't a, a, a top-down thing. It wasn't um, a leader that saw something in me and was like, hey, Jasmine, you know, we think that you could have great influence here in this space. For me, it was those people who come in every single day and was dealing with overturned desks and was dealing with parents that were cursing them out and was dealing with unfavorable conditions, a lack of supplies, um, anything like that. Where I was like, man, these women, and I can admit there was some men too, there were, you know, um, but these young women in particular, we would have these mentoring sessions, these coaching sessions. I remember um, out of all of my friends, I'm the friend that is in education, right? So they all are in accounting, they have MBAs, they're, the, they're living the lives that I thought that I was gonna live with my big house and, and all of that, right? Uh, but I would have them, my friends who are vice presidents at JP Morgan Chase or um, a vice president at Goldman Sachs, and I would have them come in and speak to these women about interviewing skills, how to build your resume, what, is, what should your resume look like, um, how to network. And so we just, off the cuff, I would just start meeting with them on Saturdays or at nighttime after the program was had ended at 6 or 6.30. We would all come together. I had um, a few of them, hey, here's my resume. I'm going to apply for another position. And even though I'm, they're, they're going to be leaving me, I want them to do better, right? I want them to impact these kids and their communities in a greater way than what's happening, what, what they're, they're doing right now. So they would email me their resume, hey, can you look over this? And I would get to work like, no, okay, this isn't, you actually do more than just, oh, I create activities for the kids. You do more than that, right? You create 
uh, learning opportunities through academically aligned strategies. You know, it's like, but you have to, if people don't know or have the words to say or the tools to, to, to speak on what they actually do and nobody helps them, then they're just going to think, oh, I'm just a glorified babysitter. And that is not the case. We are actually impacting academic outcomes for schools. Um, we are providing countless resources for families and communities. Uh, we are providing safe spaces uh, from kids who are unsupervised after school. And so we're doing so much more, but you have to give them the words and the opportunity to say that. That's, that's great, Jasmine. I, I think one of the questions that pops into my head is you can give us a little guidance in this. The, the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook is really kind of came about with what does the 45-year-old Michael Garcia want to tell the 20-year-old Michael Garcia when he was like just getting into this? So I'm going to push to you in your world. What would you tell the 20-year-old? I mean, I know you're only 29. That's all I'm, that's all I'm going to say. But, uh, but, what, but what, what would you tell the 20-year-old Jasmine when you kind of like right now you'd say, hey, maybe you should focus on this a little bit. This will set this up. What, what's some of that advice for that future youth development professional? And, and I'm going to say, I mean, we're talking after school, but we're also talking preschools. We're also talking summer camps. We're also talking youth, youth sports and aquatics and all this stuff is the same language. So, so tell us, tell me, help us out. You got a 20 year old Jasmine sitting in front of you. What are you going to tell her? Wow. Wow, Michael. So I'm 40 right now. So this was 20 years ago. Only 29. That's all I'm, I'm still sticking to it, Jasmine. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. You're so, you're so kind to me. Um, what I would tell the 20-year-old Jasmine, um, move faster. Because if you don't move faster, then people's lives are impacted. I cannot say this enough, right? that what we do is literally impacting lives. So I, I, I kind of liken it to uh, Schindler's List, right? When Oscar Schindler was like, you know, I could have done more, you know? If I would have started at 20, then I could have done more. And if I would have moved faster, so if I would have known at 20, because I didn't know that I wanted to be in youth development until I was 23, Okay, so at 20, I was still law school. Yeah, but also like partying a little bit, you know, so I was kind of unfocused. So I would have said, hey, Jasmine, focus yourself, figure out what it is that you really want to do and then move quickly on it because you don't have time to waste. Um, I, I think about if I would have started earlier, if I would have started sooner. And, I'm, and I believe in, in divine destiny, right? Like I was supposed to get that little job to get my nails done at the age of 23, right? That was supposed to happen. And then the rest is history. But I think that I would have appreciated um, moving faster in my career, picking jobs uh, to where it wasn't just a job that was comfortable for me, but there was purpose behind it. Um, knowing that I didn't want to be in a uh, strategic leadership position that I knew, you know, I knew that I loved programming and I knew, actually, you know what, let me stop talking. Really, I would probably choose to be like in HR in professional development and learning and training, right? Like that's probably what I should be doing. Um, but, I, I, I appreciate the process. 
I appreciate the process and I appreciate where I've come and all of those little bitty experiences and the people that I've met along the way because that inspired the after school professional to happen. Awesome. So Jasmine, you, you, you talked about speaking things into existence. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd like you to, to think about uh, yourself six months from now. Uh, what would you say to Jasmine today? Uh, and you know, what, what's come about from all this learning and uh, what's, what's happening right now? Al, that is such a great question. <laughs> and you know what, I, I have been doing a lot of vision boarding and I do all these task lists and, and, and I post like inspirational things all over the place. And so this, I'm glad that you asked me that because I'm gonna add that to, to my daily thinking and, 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 and meditation and stuff. Um, because again, I don't feel like I move fast enough, right? And so we know that six months from now, we are probably going to be integrating back into normalcy, right? But the need for virtual programming is, is still going to be there, right? It's still going to be something that people are going to be talking about. Professional development does not go anywhere. And so how can I uh, make myself available to youth development professionals um, in a more intentional way? Uh, so I need to be a little bit more intentional um, uh, moving forward, six months from now, I should be able to say, oh, I had this podcast interview on July 20th with Alan Michael, and they encouraged me to move a little bit faster with this learning management system. So like, you know, thanks guys. Don't ask me for any cut of, of the, of the money or anything, but I mean, <laughs> just, just say nice things behind our backs that we're I, easy. We're easy. I, I just want to know that you say something like they were there when, yes, <laughs> they were there when, and now I'm here. So they are my inspiration and thank you guys so much. So you footnote in your a footnote in your in yes. your 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 next book in your first book or your next book it'd be like hey those two guys on a monday night poked me in the eye and now it's their fault <laughs> so silly yeah, i think that's what i would tell my tell myself six if i were to look back i would say you know yeah okay is there anything that that's emerged that you've learned about yourself that was unexpected? Maybe that it even surprised you a little bit? Wow. Um, that every time, every single time, every single time I go out and I do a workshop with people and I all, I mean, every, without fail, I always get an email from someone that, that took, the, the workshop and it's like, I really want to be better. And I really want to, can you coach me? Can you mentor me? Can you meet with me? And I go into the workshops like, oh, Jazz, you're just, you're just delivering the same workshop that you've done 5 million times, you know, uh, effective communication, supervision of staff, classroom management, cultural competency. But it always shocks me and surprise me, surprises me that people are still impacted by something that I have to say. And I, I don't think that, I honestly actually don't think that I'm saying anything different than a lot of other people because there's a lot of brilliant people, a lot of brilliant experts out there who have been in the game for less time than me or more time than me. But I have a kind of certain way that I deliver my workshops that make it a little bit, um, different and more engaging and inviting and comfortable for people. So 
I think that I'm, I'm always shocked that people are still receptive. Makes what, one, one of my mentors, John Maxwell, says all the time, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And you have a, 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 a dynamic power behind what you are saying. You are influencing people. Uh, you've, in fact, used that word several times in, in your journey, as you described. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't, don't discount that at all, because you are influencing people, which means you are leading people into a direction that is unexpected. So, uh, you know, youth development uh, professionals, uh, they come in all packages and it is just amazing to me the work that we find people doing th throughout um, uh, really throughout the world as as we move through our podcast so thank you for that oh my god thank you for that my heart is exploding <laughs> well we don't want it to explode too much uh, jasmine i really really want to thank you for joining us this has been great i love your energy i love all of you and what you're doing and um Tell everybody, how do they get a hold of you? Of course, we'll have your website on the link, uh, but tell us how to get a hold of you. What's the best way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a uh, website, www.theafterschoolprofessional.com. I have, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but don't, don't follow me on Twitter because I don't ever say nothing. I don't say <laughs> Um, I just scroll through. I'm like, oh, what is everybody doing today? That's all I use Twitter for. Uh, but I also have a YouTube series called Tap Talks. Uh, we have about four videos right now. It is just me talking and talking to some of my friends and just being goofy, but also just giving you guys some free tips and things to, to think about. So that's on YouTube. Again, Tap Talks. Um, and then my email, jasmine at theafterschoolprofessional.com. That's J-A-S-M-I-N-E at theafterschoolprofessional.com. I'm, look, if you reach out to me, I'm a talker. So I'm just warning everybody right now. And Smoke. I send emails too, so. Smoke signals, all that stuff. We'll get a hold of you, definitely. So, <laughs> so awesome. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and you'll be back with Al and I. Thanks everybody. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. That was such an amazing time that we had with Jasmine Castleberry. Al, tell us what you learned today. You know, uh, it just, again, her energy is all about her belief in herself. Uh, uh, again, one of my other mentors, Paul Martinelli, talks about belief drives behavior and her behavior is all about what she believes and that's in herself and her and what she can bring to uh so many others i i'm i, I love the fact that she's uh become passionate about empowering these you know 13 dollar an hour three hours in the afternoon workers uh not that they're workers that they are after school professionals what an amazing thing. Only secure leaders give power to others. And that's a John Maxwell quote as well. Uh, and, and she is empowering a group that, uh, in my opinion, in my career, has oftentimes been overlooked. So I, I'm uh, more power to her. Yeah, I think I'll have to echo, first of all, the energy. It just the first thing I wrote as we're notes, wow. I mean, just keeping pace with her is is got to be a full-time job in its own right. But 
I think it's, we lose opportunities, especially in the nonprofit world where, where, mo- where my experiences come from is, well, we have to keep them at 20 hours because we can't and, but we can't lose them. So how do we get that balance? And they go work at the grocery store in the morning or work at another program to hopefully stay with us in the fall, in the afternoons and through the falls and, and, I think one of the big things is organizations need to kind of step up and say, this person's worth training and giving the skill sets to make the highest quality after school programs that we have. And it is not babysitting. And those programs that are babysitting, I'm not saying they're not financially successful, but they're not program development successful. And that's what we need to hear for. We're here to help all of the kids. So Jasmine, thanks again for joining us. Al, thanks for playing again with us. Uh, really enjoyed having our chats. And if you guys need anything, give us a call. If you like the podcast, five stars, please. We are always looking. Uh, share with a friend, share on social media, and we'll see you guys next time. Stay safe. Bye-bye.